0: It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports, from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey.
1: What's up, y'all? Liv Moose here. Hey, what's up? This is Danny Wexelman.
0: Wexelman. Hi, everyone. I'm Steffi Smalls. What's up, everyone? It's Ben Lindsay. This is Andrea Carter. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin. And you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays.
1: Hello, everybody! Welcome back to Crunch Time Plays. Where, however, you may be watching and listening, wherever you may be watching or listening, thanks so much for joining us. and And we're still ramping up towards the college football season here in July, and and we're hitting, trying to hit as many many schools as we can, and to to help you, you know, make your crunch time plays as far as your bets and conversations this fall. And and we've got uh, one of the best for, that covers Ohio State today. Has been covering the Buckeyes for for over thirty years now, and that. And that's Steve Hellwagon from, from Bucknuts.com, part of the, the 24-7 network that covers Ohio State. And and Steve, it's an honor to have you today. Hope you're doing well.
0: Yep, doing great up here. Hanging in, just counting the days down until the season starts, uh, inside two months.
1: Uh, there's no doubt about that. And hope you and uh hope you and your family had a had a great July 4th weekend as well. Oh yeah, it was wonderful. That's awesome. And and so I just wanted to to get into some of the some of the recruiting stuff with you we just went off, just came off the, the live period uh, in June first time in 15 months back under the dead period now but but just from your impressions on on how Ryan day and, and his staff handled the the June period and there's a lot of momentum around the program right now, especially with all the the college football playoff appearances, national championship appearances and currently have the number one class in 2022, so how how did – what did you make of, of Ryan Day and his staff and how they approached this past month in June?
0: Oh, they were tremendously busy during the month of June. They had seven different camp days for prospects from around the country to come into Ohio State and uh, received some uh, teaching at the hands of the coaches there. And a lot of those kids were the underclassmen, the 2023 and the 2024 prospects who the Buckeyes are really after. A few 2022 prospects who are trying to gain some late offers, certainly. They also had a number of 2022 prospects in, uh, kids who are going to be high school seniors. They were in on unofficial visits as well as official visits throughout the month. And uh, as you said, Ohio State's got the number one class right now for 2022. They have 16 commitments, and it really is a a fabulous class. It's highlighted by Quinn Ewers, the quarterback out of Texas, who is the number one overall player in the country right now uh, for the 2022 cycle. Uh, tremendous, obviously, that Ohio State already has him in the fold. Uh, they just got a commitment from a Georgia wide receiver, Kojo Antwi, this past week from Suwanee, Georgia. He picked Ohio State over Texas A&M in Georgia, and he became the 16th commitment in that class for 2022. And obviously the big news on Sunday, July the 4th, was a commitment by 2021 defensive end, J.T. Tui Maloow of Washington State from up near Seattle, and he picked Ohio State over USC, Washington, Oregon, and Alabama, and he'll be enrolling at Ohio State uh, probably any day now and will join the team. He's probably the latest commitment I can ever remember for a kid going into uh, his freshman year of college. Usually this is all done by February with the signing day, but because you couldn't take official visits. JT and his family wanted to wait until that was a possibility, and it became possible in June. They made four official visits during that month of June, and they picked Ohio State. Uh, He's the number three overall prospect in the 24-7 sports composite. He was uh, 24-7 sports number one. Overall prospect defensive end and gives Ohio State two bookends in this class because they've got uh, Tui Malowow at one end and Jack Sawyer, who was number four in the composite uh, from right outside Columbus. Uh, Jack Sawyer, number four in the composite, uh, already had uh, signed and gone through spring football with the Buckeyes. So those two guys are going to be freshmen at Ohio State. I don't know that either of them are going to start right away for the Buckeyes, but they're going to give uh, the Buckeyes some depth, certainly, at that defensive end position. And uh, he capped off what was a number two overall class, Alabama, despite that commitment by Tumaloao, still had the number one class for the 2021 cycle. But again, the top two teams in college football, at least in terms of the championship game last year, Alabama, Ohio State, they combined to sign 29 of the top 100 players in the nation in the 2021 cycle, almost 30% of the players, the top 100, are going to the teams that played for the national championship. And I just think the rich keep getting richer under this scenario, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out in the years to come.
1: Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. And it, it continues, the, the cream of the crop just continues to rise up. And I believe Ohio State signed Five or is going to sign five of the top ten from the twenty-one from the twenty twenty-one class. I don't think, or really anybody's, hardly in recollection has really ever done that before.
0: Yeah, that's from the twenty-four-seven sports list uh, solely, not the composite, just the network twenty-four-seven with their uh, experts. Um, you know, generally, I skew more to the composite when I look at this because I figure if you take everybody's rankings and combine them. Uh, you're probably going to be more accurate than – and that's not to slide our own guys. I work for 24-7. But uh, <clears throat> obviously they love uh, these guys that Ohio State's got. When you're talking about Tui Malau, uh, Tui Maloau. I, I need to get that down. Jack Sawyer, who I mentioned. Travion Henderson, outstanding running back from the Mid-Atlantic area as well. Uh, Mecca Agbuka, the nation's number one overall wide receiver – and uh, what's interesting is he's also from Washington State. They got two guys from the Seattle area to come five or six hours across the country uh, to play their college football at Ohio State. And the last one to round that out is Donovan Jackson, a big time offensive lineman from Texas, coming into Ohio State, also a national top 10 prospect as well. So, you know, you look at this, and it is unprecedented. Uh, people ask me, is this the greatest class Ohio State's ever had? I don't know. They've had some really good ones. You think about it this way, in the last 10 years, uh, really including, I guess, the 2022 class, back to 2012 or 2013, I don't know, 10 years in there, Ohio State has had nine national top 10 classes. So uh, the only one that wasn't was in the kind of that transition year between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day, when there was a little bit of uncertainty what was going to happen there, uh, that class in 2019 finished 14th nationally. And so when you have one top 10 class on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, and all these national top 100 and top 50 and top 10 guys, this is the recipe to win the Big Ten every year and to to go on and compete in the playoff. And obviously Ohio State has been – in the playoff the last couple of years. So uh, they're looking to continue that, obviously, in 2021.
1: Well, there's no doubt that they're going to continue to to win the Big Ten uh, for years to come. It's re- it's really become, a lot of the last few years, it's become really Ohio State and, and everybody else. And But, Steve, you, you brought up an interesting point that I wanted to touch on with you just out of my own curiosity. I know a lot of people have the, have the same curiosity as well. But whenever you, – you've been doing this a really long time covering – Recruiting. Whenever you talk about these these twenty four seven player rankings, and then kind of translating them over to the composite score, what for the people that may not understand, what kind of goes into that, and then how does for for example, how to. you know these evaluators go about. You know, when you're trying to evaluate 200, you know, why, for example, wide receivers a year. What are the some of the little kinks and differences that they work out in those players in order to try to grade them correctly?
0: Yeah, I think the recruiting rankings, as we all know, have been around probably about 30, 35, 40 years, whatever. And it really became kind of a cottage industry back there in the 80s and the 90s as people became more and more enamored with where the hotshot high high school players were going to play their college football. Well, I think the recruiting analysts over the years have kind of honed their techniques, and they are looking at a combination of factors. Uh, If they get a chance to see a player play live and in person, that can make an impression on them. Uh, Obviously, game film is always very important. The caliber of the opponent is very important. And then also how these players perform individually when they get out to camps and seven-on-seven and combine settings. Are they the best players at those places on those given days? Do they stand out when it's the best against the best? Who are the ones that really stand out? And I think they're also looking at some of the raw data as well in terms of the height, the weight, the 40-yard time. Uh, broad jump, vertical jump, uh, you know, pro shuttle, whatever they can get their hands on uh, to test a player and their agility, their ability, their speed, their strength. All that kind of goes into the blender, I think, for these uh, college scouts. And you had the Elite 11 this past weekend where the guy I mentioned, Quinn Ewers, was one of the quarterbacks from Texas, uh, was at the Elite 11. It was held out in Los Angeles, California, I believe. And uh, he had a chance to go throw for throw right alongside all the other quarterbacks. And each recruiting analyst had their own list of guys, one through 11 or 15 or however many quarterbacks there were. And so that's in a nutshell how the different analysts and the different services will uh, compile their rankings. And obviously they publish those rankings and update them on a monthly or every other month basis. Based on the newest data, uh, fall regular season, how a guy did, you know, and those kind of things, and then what I think 24/7 does is they take their rankings and put them into the computer. They take uh, the rivals' rankings, the ESPN rankings, and anybody else out there who is ranking high school prospects and put them all into that uh, composite to mash out the master list. And then you go and you see, okay, this guy's number one. This guy's number two. They average it all out. And uh, to me, you know, it, it is a fascinating process. People think there's a lot of politics involved. I'll say that I think that sometimes uh, the analysts can be swayed a little bit by scholarship offers. You know, in the old days, back in the 90s, if a guy had a USC offer from Pete Carroll, you thought that was the gold standard because they had the best Program in America in the uh, in the nine, late '90s and early 2000s, they were the best program out there. Now it's Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. If their coaches stick their neck out and put a true, as we like to say, committable offer on the table to a prospect, uh, that's the gold standard, in my opinion, in our industry right now for one of these uh, top three or top four programs, maybe Georgia, Oklahoma. Also in that mix, I don't know, but uh, if if those top programs put an offer out for a kid, I think that speaks volumes for how good a player that uh, that player is. Now, uh, can is all this infallible? Yes, but I'll tell you something. When uh, Tui Maloal committed to Ohio State, I did a look at the last twenty years from Ohio State, and they've had he's the fourteenth guy in twenty years who was a national top ten prospect. And most of the guys who have come through uh, previously uh, were guys who went on and were either NFL first-round draft picks or they've played five, eight, ten years in the National Football League. So it tells you that even out of high school, these recruiting analysts can get it right. I mean, they're, they're not not going to miss on a lot of can't-miss guys I mean, there'll be a few busts that slip through the cracks every now and then. Ohio State had a kid, Noah Spence, uh, from Pennsylvania back in 2012, who played a year or two at Ohio State, and then he had a a drug test failure or two, and it was for, uh, uh, you know, some type of uh, a drug test failure, and he was banished from the Big Ten. He went to uh, Eastern Kentucky, played for a year, and has now played five years in the NFL. He was a national top ten prospect coming out of Pennsylvania, he didn't make it at Ohio State, but he's made it in the NFL. So even then, you 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 can't screw up when you when you're a national top ten player. They still get you to the NFL one way or the other.
1: Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. There, the NFL is going to find you uh, no matter no matter where you are. It seems like you know talk about <clears> you know just being at some of these group of five schools, Coastal Carolina or or Cincinnati or UCF. The, if you if you're good enough, the NFL is going to find you wherever you are.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And we see it here in our state with Cincinnati. Uh, they've had a real big upswing right now with Coach Fickle, former Ohio State player, assistant coach, was the head coach at Ohio State, obviously, in 2011 after Jim Trestle left and uh, was retained by Urban Meyer as defensive coordinator after that, did a great job, and, and now has Cincinnati on the verge of uh, doing some really big things, too. So, uh, yeah, you, you're right, uh, they – if you play, and uh, with uh, the coverage that our sport gets nationally from every college out there, every game seems to be on television or the internet. Uh, the, the scouts will find you, and uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, if the, the best players, the cream always rises to the top.
1: Uh, there's no doubt. <clears throat> and Steve, I did want to ask you about. You mentioned committable offers. I wanted to. It brought up another another question that that I'm really curious about. What? what percentage of it of the offers that that a player gets i know it varies from, from player to player but but what percentage would you say are actually committable offers that a player gets where staffs are really going hard uh, trying to get this guy these guys and and what kind of goes into to the staffs kind of deciding their pecking order of of who gets the committable offer, who are guys that we might wanna might wanna watch a little bit more, might wanna offer them, but watch them a little bit more.
0: Yeah, it's all part of the process, and I think maybe half of the offers, maybe two thirds, I don't know, would be uh, uh, genuine, committable type offers. And I think uh, for schools like Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, uh, they want to maximize every spot. So while they may tell somebody who attends their camp, you have an offer, if uh, down the line there are better prospects in line uh, ready to commit they're going to take those guys and may not take uh, take the verbal from that player uh, they could put it to them in some certain ways of saying look we're recruiting five or six guys at your position if you tell us today you're going to commit and you're with us then, then you're in and uh, you know you'll, you'll have a spot in this class but if you hesitate and don't you know, commit today, um, that spot may not be there down the line. So, again, every one of these schools is operating under a numbers crunch because of the $85 million scholarship limit. Although I think with the transfer portal, some of that's going to be uh, uh, loosened up, it would seem to me, on, a, on an annual basis because schools are going to lose uh, two, three, four, five, ten guys, you know, whatever, in a given year to the transfer portal. So uh to me, I don't uh, I don't know that the 85 man limit is gonna hamstring a lot of these head coaches a whole lot going forward because uh that transfer portal is a uh, is gonna pop up from time to time uh for some of these programs so um yeah I, I think that um again communication is key between uh the kid his parents, the high school coach, the uh, position coach, uh, the coach for his region. Let's say if a kid's from Florida and Ohio State assigns one guy to recruit South Florida, and one guy to recruit Central Florida and so on, Uh, and, of course, the head coach. It's all communication between all of those parties. So I think you have to kind of uh, take it all with a, a grain of salt.
1: Well, the, Whenever we're, we're talking about the transfer portal, it's become a, a wild west, especially this year, with coming off of COVID, the one-time transfer rule. And it's, it's only, it's, you know, guys are transferring within the conference, out of conference, and, and it's just going to be part of the game from now on. And it, it leads me kind of to the question of, of whenever coaching staffs are kind of trying to figure out, you know, their 25 uh, scholarships for a particular class, have you been given any indication as to how specifically Ryan Day and his staff uh, c- can think about this to where they maybe take, you know, 21 or 22 high school, high school guys and leave, you know, three or four spots available out of the 25 for transfer portal guys.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I think it'll depend. Uh, different schools will probably approach it and handle it in different ways. I think that, uh, again, some schools are going to be able to, uh, to accept uh, obviously uh, transfer players and we'll be looking to augment their starting lineup and they're too deep with some transfer players. And I think that that kind of, kind of goes with the territory. If you don't think that you can uh, get that kind of player out of the transfer portal, then, uh, then it probably won't come up quite as often. But uh, again, uh, yeah, I think uh, probably one or two spots maybe, uh, you know, at a school like Ohio state, because, First of all, they don't want to upset the culture that uh, is within their program, and uh, they want to make sure that they get quality people and those kind of things. And so, but yet you're always on the lookout for somebody who can help you win uh, the Big Ten and beat Michigan and get to help get your team uh, to the playoffs. So, I think it's you know to have a hard and fast thing. I don't know. I think. Uh, the guys working within these programs, as we understand it, are constantly uh, scrounging, uh, looking through the, the transfer portal for guys that can help them, and yet, you know, I, I'm not sure if you could put an exact number on it. I think it's more of a feel thing than anything. If the fit's right, then uh, that's how it'll work. Ohio State hasn't taken a lot of transfers. Uh, they got Jonah Jackson a couple years from ago from Rutgers who filled a good need on the offensive line. Uh, they've got Antoine Jackson, who's on the team this year, uh, who will who will uh, fill a, a need on the, as a defensive tackle. He's a guy I believe started his career at Auburn and uh, now is at Ohio State. And, of course, Ohio State lost some guys. Jamison Williams, wide receiver, he left and went to Alabama. And Mookie Cooper, a wide receiver, he left and went uh, to uh, Missouri, I believe. So uh, you've got uh, kind of the door-swinging, backwards and forwards on that, but I, I don't believe Ohio State's taken uh, a true transfer in this cycle. I could be wrong. I would mean, have to rack my brain to think about it, but uh, a true transfer that is just joining the team for this coming season, I'm not 100% sure that that's happened.
1: That's definitely true, and you bring up a great point, especially a, a program like Ohio State, programs like Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, that that are Generally, you know, in the playoff every year. Of course, they don't want to. They don't want to upset the apple cart. They don't want to upset the the culture in their locker room. So they definitely can be selective as to to who those guys that that they want to take. And and the Steve, the final last couple of recruiting questions I have for you before we get into the specifics of the season a little bit was whether were, were there any guys that that Ohio State had on campus in June that that maybe they you know decided. That you know maybe they were a little bit too small or or didn't have the the work ethic that they thought when they saw on the film or or also were there any guys that really surprised them really stood out in camp that that they wanted to extend an offer to because you knowing you you've been recruiting over Zoom and, and not being able to see these guys for 15 months those, those kind of things are going to happen so were there any guys that that really surprised you from that standpoint.
0: Yeah, I think during the course of the month when they had, uh, you know, those guys in for the camp uh, setting and those kind of things, I think that there were a number of guys. Uh, most of the new offers went out to 2023 players. There may have been a 2022 player or two that got offered uh, during the month uh, just based on workouts. Um you know, off the top of my head, I know that they had uh, Brandon Ennis, who's a national top 10 prospect in from Florida, and he actually worked out at the camp. And uh, obviously they had offered him previously, but that kind of reaffirmed their interest in him. Carnell Tate, a big-time uh, wide receiver from Florida, 2023 kid. He was also probably in that group Uh You know, I'm looking at my lists here just to kind of get a a firm idea. There was another kid, Chase Bisantis, an offensive tackle uh, from New Jersey, a national top 50 player that uh, I would say would probably fit that bill. Uh, AJ Harris, a big time cornerback from Alabama, uh, top 25 player. He was also, uh, he may have been offered previously, but they definitely offered him uh, after uh, seeing him in camp. So, yeah, I kind of go up and down the list here. Uh, they had three or four quarterbacks who they liked. Uh, Dante Moore from Michigan, 2023 kid, who really impressed them. And Nicholas Iamaleva from California, national top 50 player as well. Uh, those guys attended the camp and got offered. So that gives you an idea. They were very busy in working out the 2023 players and uh, making those offers. There were probably a handful of 2022 guys. Uh, who came in looking for offers and uh, it didn't work out just yet, but Ohio state will keep them under consideration uh, and different things like that. So, yeah, you know, it, it, the recruiting, the the, the pace which with, with which they're recruiting, the players with which they're recruiting are of such high quality, it's kind of hard to keep track of it all. It changes almost on a daily basis the priorities. But they've got 16 commitments, and they want to sign 23 guys. And I think what's left for them are probably two or three offensive linemen, two or three defensive linemen, maybe a linebacker and a safety, and that'll be it. I mean, they've got quarterback covered with Ewers. Uh, they took a running back here recently uh, who's really good. Uh, uh, Antwi, the guy I mentioned, the wide receiver, he's one of four wide receivers they have in this class. So they've covered the board pretty good across the line. They got a couple great linebackers from Ohio in the 2022 class with Gabe Powers and, um, cj hicks both of them from the state of ohio so uh you know maybe one more linebacker to round out that group but otherwise i think they have covered the bases pretty well uh across the board
1: that's def- that's definitely true just you know just just kind of eyeballing it they definitely uh, seem like they're they're done with a lot of the a lot of the guys that they're targeting on the offensive side of the ball especially at, at wide receiver with four on us about the max you want and if you can you can sign a, a great quarterback in Quinn yours and and a great running back, which they certainly have. Are there are there any guys that that could be on a commitment watch, maybe on the offensive side of the ball? A couple of those offensive linemen uh, that you mentioned, maybe. Uh, I know you you've had a a really nice uh, piece about uh, Cam Dewberry that you may be watching the offensive tackle from Texas and and anybody you know just across the board offensively that may be possibly ready to commit here soon.
0: Yeah, we try and stay on top of it as best we can. And I think that, uh, yeah, you mentioned Cam Dewberry. He's uh, ranked number 101 in the country. He's from Humble, Texas, uh, which I believe is a suburb of Houston, I think. Cam Dewberry. And the only reason I know that is because David Boston, who played for the Buckeyes in the late 1990s, went on to about a 10-year NFL career as a wide receiver. He was from Humble, Texas as well. Uh, Cam Dewberry is probably up there. There's a lineman from Ohio, Emil uh, Wagner uh, from down in the Dayton area who is also high on their wrist, and also uh, Zach Rice from Lynchburg, Virginia, Liberty Christian Academy. I think those three guys are are critical-type prospects that the Buckeyes are looking at on the offensive line. Uh, Defensive line, a couple of guys, uh, I mean, they they are all over the board here with uh, some of the top – prospects, particularly I White uh, from Pennsylvania. He's a top 50 guy that uh, they are really uh, enamored with. I know about him, obviously. And then on the defensive line, where they have a, a tremendous need is a defensive tackle. And uh, they have offered a handful of defensive tackles. Uh, you know, one of the ones that, uh, that really stands out uh, for them, at or near the top of the list is Walter Nolan, and he's a national top ten player from Tennessee. Also, Gabriel Brownlow Dindy uh, from Florida. I know Brownlow Dindy was through Ohio State uh, for a visit. And uh, Chris McClellan from Oklahoma. He is a guy I think you definitely have to kind of keep tabs on. He could be another uh, commitment very soon. So I would say Dewberry and McClellan are probably the two guys that uh, that you're looking at.
1: the. Uh, the- that's all really fascinating stuff. And and the final question I had for you on recruiting was was kind of the are there any different are there any major differences between you know the style of of Urban Meyer and Ryan Day in, in terms of recruiting? It seems like Ryan Day has just just surpassed what what Urban Meyer was really able to to build. And when you look at those classes, for how how long you've been doing this, when you look at those classes that that Urban Meyer signed, and, and these classes that, that Ryan Day assigned? Are there any patterns, similarities, or maybe differences that there are between those two staffs?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Day worked for Meyer for a couple of years before taking over as the head coach, and they kept all the processes in place. Mark Pantone, who was the recruiting coordinator for Meyer, all the way back to his Florida days, uh, he stayed on staff. And obviously, Meyer was out of football for a couple of years, and now back in with the NFL's Jacksonville Jaguars, and and everyone thought, well, he could go there and be the the player personnel director or whatever, but uh, stayed at Ohio State and was continuing to be the recruiting coordinator there. So I think that, um, again, uh, they have maintained a lot of it. A lot of the assistant coaches were obviously retained uh, when Day uh, stayed. I think Day is working really hard Uh, to make sure that they keep Ohio's best players at home. Um, I'm not sure that was as big a priority for Meyer. I think his thing was we're going to go nationwide wherever it takes to find the best players. And you look what they've done. They've gone into California and gotten a guy like Chris Olave. They go into Texas and have taken any number of great players out of Texas uh, year after year. And, uh, you know, Maryland, the DMV area, has been big for Ohio State. Not as much Florida as you might think. And Florida was something somewhere that John Cooper and Jim Tressel, uh, previous head coaches at Ohio State, really mined Florida pretty well, and uh, same obviously uh, you know with Urban Meyer. But uh, at any rate, I am uh, of a mind that um, again, it's a personal uh, approach, and I think that uh, that that uh, day and his staff, Brian Hartline, recruiting one great wide receiver after another. Larry Johnson, the defensive line coach, getting one great defensive lineman after another—it's just something that just perpetuates itself year after year.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, Brian Hartline's got got four uh, really quality uh, wide receivers uh, in in the boat here for for twenty twenty two. And and Steve, the, the final question before before I let you before I let you run, I definitely have to get you back on again before the season to kind of preview it more in depth with you. But but what's going to be Kind of looking at the start of the year for Ohio State. They have, they have the quarterback to figure out. Possibly CJ Stroud be the starter there. But you start out with Minnesota on the road, and then and then Oregon uh, back back at the shoe at home. Is 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 the start for Ohio State really going going two and zero in that start? Is that really what's going to prop- prop- propel them to to maybe another college football playoff appearance?
0: Yeah, you make a great point. Uh, everything begins with those first two games, and you know Minnesota was a middle of the road team last year. Uh, they played pretty well the year before, and they pushed Wisconsin to the last game to win the for Wisconsin to win the Western Division back in 2019. And will Minnesota rise up again and have a great team? It's on the road on a Thursday night. The stadium up there in Minnesota will be packed, obviously, with fifty thousand people. And uh, it'll be a quarterback making his uh, debut, essentially throwing the football. None of the quarterbacks coming back for Ohio State. Uh, C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller got to throw a pass last season. Justin Fields threw every pass for the Buckeyes in the shortened season, only eight games last year. So you think about that, uh, that's going to be a big hurdle is getting that quarterback position up to snuff. Uh, The other 10 players on offense are all veteran players, proven players, essentially. And what they need is for those guys to play their best football and take a lot of the uh, uh, benefit of the doubt off the quarterback, a lot of that heavy lifting off the quarterback so they don't have to try and do extraordinary things. They could just play football, do the things that they're taught and lead the team You know, to the best of their ability, kind of grow into that job. I don't think it's going to be an easy transition. I think there's going to be some bumps along the road, just as as you would think. I mean, Justin Fields, he at least got to play a little bit at Georgia as a freshman before he came in at Ohio State and was a star for two full years. You know, it would have be a lot different for him had he never played a snap at Georgia and showed up at Ohio State in twenty. Uh, 19, and they said, well, here's the ball, go, you know, it would have looked a little bit different, I think. I think he would have had some fumbles and some interceptions and some things that maybe you don't expect, uh, you know, to see. So those growing pains is what they're going to have to get through. And two quality opponents, Minnesota at the beginning, I think is a quality opponent, especially at Minnesota. And then back home with Oregon, a team that uh, won the Pac-12, beat Iowa State uh, pretty convincingly in their bowl game. Uh, you know, they feel like they've put together a pretty good program there at Oregon, and uh, they want to come in and shock the world and beat Ohio State and Ohio Stadium and prove that they deserve to be in the playoff this year. So uh, a lot for those two first two teams to prove. Then the other thing is this defense. I mean, I've got my handy, standy, handy dandy Phil Steel book here. And uh, last year, Ohio State went from giving up almost 14 points a game in 2019 and having a great defense to giving up 26 points a game, almost double. And yeah, they went seven and one. They only lost the one game to Alabama in the national championship, but they gave up 52 points in that game. They gave up, uh, what was it? 35, I believe to Indiana. So uh, there were some games where they got gashed pretty heavily. I think Pennix threw for 400 yards against Ohio State last year from Indiana, and that game's at Indiana this year. Uh, so that could help determine the Eastern Division that one game. Penn State's probably coming back as well. But defense, to me, has got to be much improved. Uh, and I don't know that the personnel is going to be a whole lot better because you're taking Sean Wade out of there. You're taking all three starting linebackers out of there. Uh, you're taking Tommy Togiai, who was an outstanding defensive tackle, out of there. Um, you know, they've got some pieces, obviously, on defense, but they got some holes they got to fill. And I'm interested to see how that all comes together, and it's got to be much better than it was a year ago because, you know, if it's any worse, they're probably looking at a two- or three-loss season, I would think, uh, given some of the teams that they're lined up to play that can, that can move the football, like Oregon and Indiana. I think Minnesota, if things come together for them, they could be like that as well. Penn State's got a veteran quarterback coming back, and uh, there'll be some other tough tests along the way. But uh, yeah, those are the two big things: the quarterback and the defense. If those two areas uh, come to come to fruition and come, you know, it can be areas that you can can you know you don't have to worry about. I don't know about rely on, but but just areas that don't impede the progress of the team. Then uh, you're going to be back in the playoff, I would think.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true you mentioned there's a great point about the defense they the facing teams right out of the gate you know minnesota's got a got a returning quarterback in, in tanner morgan that that's really that's really proven and and oregon's going to be able to move the football and, and in indiana if if michael Penix is able to is able to come back healthy as well as he was at the at the beginning part of last year that's certainly a, a really tall task for that defense but then it, At quarterback, it definitely helps, being possibly those first couple games, being able to rely more on that offensive line, more on Master Teague running the football. He's a really great back and and relying on some of those short routes for the the young quarterback to to gain more confidence to to guys like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave.
0: Yeah, no doubt. It helps to have – there were some pundits who believe Wilson and Olave are the top two wide receivers in the country – If not, certainly the best tandem in the country. I think a lot of people are saying in Ohio State's wide receivers group in the Phil Steele book, I believe, is number one nationally with those two guys. So um, if I have to have a young quarterback, it's great to have veteran wide receivers and a great tight end as well. Jeremy Ruckert had two touchdown catches in the semifinal win against Clemson, and he is a tremendous security blanket, I think, for a young quarterback. If things are breaking down, you can always – dump it off to the tight end and let him go down the scene for 15 or 20 yards. So um, a plethora of outstanding running backs. Uh, Travion Henderson, guy we touched on, is a true freshman. Some people think he could take over as the starter from Master Teague if he's not uh, full go. Uh, they've got Mayan Williams, who showed quite a bit last year. Marcus Crowley is in that mix, and uh, Evan Pryor, a true freshman as well. So they've got five pretty good – running backs that they'll be depending on, it looks like, and can rotate those guys and have a fresh back in the game. The offensive line, you've got uh, the two tackles are back and one of the uh, guards, Harry Miller, is back. And then you just have to uh, find a replacement for Wyatt Davis at guard and for Josh Myers at center. they got some guys who played a lot of football, Matthew Jones, Paris Johnson, and a few others that are just, you know, can't wait to take over those spots. So uh, we'll see how that all shakes out.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true, and it's it's definitely a great thing when you're able to to chart the waters for your for your young quarterback with the great the great weapons that that Ohio State has, and and they're going to continue to have them with the with the way they're recruiting, like we've been talking about today. And and Steve, thanks so much for for really taking a lot of time today, We're talking diving into to the recruiting. Definitely had to get you back on again before the season to really dive into the the team specifically, and and the schedule with you, but but tell everybody where they can find you on social media and where they can find your content on the 24 seven sports network as well.
0: Yeah. At Steve Hellwagon, uh, just as it looks there with an E in uh, that's my Twitter handle. And we're always tweeting out all the great coverage we have at bucknuts.com recruiting football, basketball, everything we cover it at Ohio state, bucknuts.com 24 seven sports network. And uh, this is going to be uh geez, I've almost lost track, 26, 27 years I've been doing this full-time covering Ohio State football, and uh, my uh, what will it will be, I think, my 19th season uh, with Bucknuts. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, and, uh, you know, when you have great teams to follow across uh, all these, uh, these games all season long, it's going to be uh, a lot of fun to follow it.
1: That's definitely true, and, and Steve, you're one of the best to do it, but like you said, have been doing it for, for a long time. You're a high, a high State lifer, and, and I'm looking, looking forward to, to getting you back on here real soon.
0: All right, take care.
1: You too, and thanks so much to Steve for coming on today, and thank you for watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're watching and listening, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.